Well, if you've been with us through the, the All the Family Feels series, you know that what we've been looking at, and it has been work, we've talked about that several times, is for the family that you have, and that's, again, it's the people closest to you. It's the people that love you. It's the people that you love. It's the people that you invest in. It's the people that invest in you. So whatever context your family dynamic is, what are we supposed to do with them, right? How do we love our family? Where are we supposed to lead our family? How do we interact with our family? We're trying to ask all those different questions. The question for us this morning, and it might seem like a, a, a question you might not have thought of before, and we throw this word around quite a bit, but my question is, what makes a great family? Just what makes a great family? Because if we could go around this room, and I bet we would all have different versions, different definitions, different standards, different measurables for what makes a family great. Some might say, well, it's, a, it's all these things that we obtain, or it's this status, or it's the schools that our kids get, get in. It's the grades that our kids have. It's the sports that they play. It's, it's how nice we are to each other. I mean, there's, there's tons of different ways that we could measure and give the status of great, but how do we truly say this is a great family? Because we say the opposite a lot too, don't we? Uh, my family's not so great right now. <laughs> We're not in a great season. It wasn't such a great weekend. It hasn't been a very great week. So what is great? And if we can figure out what it is, what is the picture of great in family look like, according to God's word, then maybe we can start to figure out how to actually cultivate that and develop that. So to figure that out, before we get in God's word, I wanted to at least see if we could figure out what great looks like. So outside of the Bible, there's another great place to look, the Guinness World Book of Records. So here's some of the greats that we have, world record holders. Does it get any better than that? Does it get any greater than that? So here's a few. <clears throat> here's the first one. This is the record for the largest Star Wars model ever created, you ready for this part? With toothpicks. Toothpicks, that's over 15,000 toothpicks. Please tell me that this individual has another job. Please, please. Maybe, maybe not, way too much time on his hands. Here's the next one. I'm gonna introduce you to a dog named Geronimo. This is Geronimo. And Geronimo, there's a lot of dog records if you go through the Guinness book, by the way. But Geronimo has the record for the most double Dutch style skips by a dog. <laughs> this is impressive though, 128 in one minute. 128 double Dutch skips in one minute. Way to go for being the greatest what would you call that? Like double dutcher? Good job, Geronimo. Here's the next one. Now, this one actually piqued my curiosity a little bit. This is a go-kart, mind you. So here's the record for the fastest speed ever recorded on a jet-propelled go-kart. Did you hear that, men? Some of these guys, you just woke up, didn't you? Jet-propelled go-kart at over 112 miles per hour. That's what I'm talking about. You wanna have a great family, you need one of those in your garage. <laughs> this next one's just funny. Straight up funny, maybe my favorite one. So there is a record for the largest hula hoop that someone has ever hula hooped. 16 feet, 16 feet. I mean, how much would that, that thing have to weigh? 16 feet, the record for the largest hula hoop. There you go, here's the last one. Now this one. <clears throat> Some, some individuals, I'm not gonna name names, some individuals think pastors, we just don't, we don't have a lot of capacity outside of preaching, right? 
our stature sometimes small and scrawny. Let's just say it. Sometimes that's what we get told. I, I, I take no offense to it. But let me introduce you to another man of the cloth, another fellow clergy. This is Reverend Kevin. Check out what Reverend Kevin has the record for. He pulled a jet over 118 tons, 28 feet. And every step of the way I just know is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And taken way out of context, I know. But all of those individuals, they all have records. They're all known for being great at something. And here's the problem is in our world, in our culture, we have those same standards, don't we? So tie that to family. Well, if I'm going to have a great family, we have to be the best at something. In order to be a great family, we've got to be in the record books for something. In order to be a great family, we need to have a whole lot of something. The only problem with that is if that is your measurable for great in your family, you're going to be disappointed greatly because there's no way we're going to be able to achieve all of that. There's no way we're going to be able to have all of that. And like we said earlier, we have moments of greatness perhaps, but we have probably many more moments where we're thinking, yeah, this isn't working out so great. That wasn't a great moment. They didn't act so greatly. This discussion didn't go so greatly. So back to our question. We know what great looks like to the world and into to many other environments in our lives. But what does great look like in the context of a family? Can you have a great family even when things don't go great? I think absolutely. Because there's a very cool and I'd say even interesting story that we get, if you've got your Bibles, head over to Matthew chapter 20. Here's why I'd say it's interesting, is there's a phrase that Jesus is gonna say at the very end. It's the very last couple of sentences of this story. And for many of you, many of you, this is gonna be a very familiar phrase that you're gonna hear Jesus say. But I would venture to guess, most of us don't know the story that led up to that famous phrase. We might've heard the phrase before or some version of it. You're like, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. But do you know why Jesus said it? Because the context leading up to it is very, very interesting. And it deals with a family dynamic all around that question. What does it mean to be great? And even the drive to be great. So here's the story and be asking that question in your mind. What does it take to be great in my family? Here's the story. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Keep in mind context. This is towards the end of Jesus' life. He has actually told his disciples multiple times at this point, hey, my time has come. I'm gonna be dying. I'm gonna be ushering my kingdom in. He's kind of trying to lay all this out. Of course, the disciples don't fully grasp and understand that yet, but he's getting closer to his time, and he's now with his disciples, and here's what happens. Verse 20 out of chapter 20 in Matthew. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, so two of the disciples, two of Jesus' closest disciples, in fact, Peter, James, and John, brothers. Then the mother of James and John came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asked a favor of Jesus. Now just picture that for a second. James and John, two grown adults, two grown men, chose to follow Jesus on their own, have been following Jesus around for several years now. Brothers, part of these 12 disciples, and mom comes up. Mom says, Jesus, I have a favor to ask of you. Now, I don't know which one it was. I don't know if it was Peter or if it was James and John saying, Mom, you ask him. Or if it was just the mom saying, no, I'm going to ask him. I don't know which one it was. If it was just mom inserting herself, moms never, ever do that. As my mom is probably watching online right now. Love you, mom. 
was mom just inserting herself into this or did James and John ask her to come along because they didn't want to ask themselves? Here's what it was. So they, she came kneeling, asked Jesus a favor. Jesus asked her, verse 21, well, what is it that you want? He asked. She said, here's her request. Grant that one of these two sons of mine, James or John, may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. No big request whatsoever. Just that Jesus, when your kingdom gets ushered in, I would like one of these two sons, it doesn't matter which one, James or John, your pick, as long as it's one of them. One of them sits at your right, one at your left. Here's what she's asking. To sit at Jesus' right and to sit at Jesus' left is saying, one of them gets to be number two in the entire universe, and the other one is number three in the entire universe. Again, no big deal, just a small little request. Can you believe that? She comes up and says, Jesus, now understand what she's asking here. Because before we start getting upset with this, like, how dare she ask that? We would probably do the same thing. She says, Jesus, I want my sons to be great. Oh, would you, would you make them great and let one of them be your number two and let one of them be your number three? Let them sit at your right and at your left. I want them to be great. Jesus, they're already close to you. It's Peter, James, and John. They're brothers. It makes sense. Don't worry about Peter. He'll do his own thing. But just have these two, one at your right, one at your left. Make them great. It's what moms do, right? Oh, I want my kids to be great. As parents, we do that. We want our kids to be in the great school, in a great class. We want them to have the best coaches and the right sports and on the right teams. We want them to be set up well and we go out of our way. Moms, you don't have to admit this, but I know. Because now as a parent, I see the other side of it. We call teachers when our kids don't know, don't we? Yeah, we call other parents. Will you have your kid play with my kid? We do all these things behind the scenes because we want the best for our kids. We want them to be great. It's what she's doing here. She wants her kids to be great. And so she does what makes sense. Jesus, you're the greatest. Can't you just make them great? Here's Jesus' response. And I love that there's a lot of compassion in his response. You're gonna notice he does not rebuke her. He, he almost doesn't even really answer her. He kind of goes on, makes it a teachable moment, as we'll see. But a lot of compassion in his answer. Verse 22, his answer to her. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Let me help you understand that phrase, because it's a little bit different. We don't use that phrase in our day and age. It was used a lot in Jesus' day. He says, you don't understand what you're asking. In other words, can you really handle this? That's what Chuck Norris, that's the Chuck Norris version of this is, can you handle this? And here they, they very ignorantly say, well, yes, of course we can handle this. And Jesus uses this phrase, can you handle, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And Jesus says a very similar phrase later on, right before he's betrayed, when he's in the garden, he says, he's talking to the father. He says, father, if you would take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will. So what that means, that phrase of the cup, drinking from a certain cup, it really is talking about an intense personal experience that's usually negative and usually tied to suffering. That's what that means. So he's saying here, you don't know what you're asking. You want to be with me? Well, here's what I'm about to do. It's about to get rough. It's about to get tough. Can you really handle where I'm going? They said, well, yeah, of course we can but again, they haven't quite caught on. Even though Jesus had been unveiling, here's what's next. Here's how my kingdom's coming in. The cross is coming. They still haven't fully grasped that, which is understandable. 
So here's what Jesus says back to them. Verse 23. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. So in other words, he's foreshadowing into what's going to happen with the apostles later on, martyr and those types of things. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These are places belonging to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. So he's saying, no, authority is to to the father. It's not even my place to grant you these things. And look what happens next. When the other 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the other two brothers. In other words, it's not fair. Perfect example of what happens, right? Especially with siblings. One person says one thing, well, that's not fair. One person gets another thing, well, that's not fair. Now, what I think, now this is my assumption. We don't know this within the context here. My assumption is the reason they were so indignant and upset about what had just happened between James, John, their mom, and Jesus is I think the other 10 disciples were like, well, why didn't we think of that first? Why didn't we bring our mom, James and John, pulling the mom car? Man, that was brilliant. Wish we had done that first. Because Jesus, again, had kept talking about the kingdom is coming, my kingdom is coming. And all the disciples were waiting, assuming they would have places of authority in his kingdom. And here, James and John, bring mom along. I know how we're going to get to be number two, number three. We're going to have our mom ask Jesus. No one can say no to our mom. And the other 10 disciples were just mad. Mad that they didn't ask first. Mad that they didn't think of it first. Mad that they might have missed out on the number two and the number three spot. So you got James and John and their mom having this discussion with Jesus. You've got the other 10 watching this discussion happen, all upset, frustrated, indignant. That's not fair. I can't believe we missed out on this. So look at what Jesus does. He turns it into a moment. And here's where you're gonna start to hear some familiar phrasing from Jesus. So Jesus called them together, got everybody together. Mom, James, John, the others, come here. He got everybody together. He called them together and he said this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, he's telling them what they already know. The Gentiles, the non-believers, you live in this world. You see how the, those in, th- in authority, how they lord it over everybody else. You see how they use power, how they use status, how they abuse their authority. He said it's all for their own good. It's all for their own selfish interest, isn't it? They, they've seen that. They get that. That's how the world works, still does today in many ways. Look at this next phrase. Jesus says this. You've seen how the world works and what great looks like in the world and what authority and power look like in the world. But, verse 26, not so with you. And if you're taking notes, underline it. Write it down. Remember that phrase. In fact, say it with me. Say, not so with you. Say it with me. Not so with you. One more time. Not so with you with you. You've seen what great looks like in the world. You've seen what great looks like as a status with the rulers and the authorities in this world. Not so with you. You will be different. You will lead differently. You will live differently. Not so with you. And this next word that Jesus says is going to turn everything upside down. Here's what the world looks like. Here's what great is defined within the world. Not so with you. Instead, and with that one world, their world is flipping. With that one word, everything goes upside down. You've seen how it works in the world. Instead, he's going to give a different 
a different reality for them. Instead, whoever wants to become great, there's that word, whoever wants to become great among you must be your, say it with me, your servant. Talk about turning your world upside down. You've seen what great looks like in the world, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And he makes it personal. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Probably recognize that last part, right? Jesus got to that because of the question and the desire and the pursuit of what is greatness and how do I become great? And Jesus flipped it completely upside down. Jesus has a way of doing that, doesn't he? When we have in our minds and we have in our hearts and we have our ideas of here's what great looks like, here's what happiness looks like, here's what wealth looks like, here's what fill in the blank looks like. And then Jesus comes in and says, instead, he does, you don't have to turn there, but the Beatitudes is a great example of that. Early on, Matthew chapter five, what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, he uses the word, well, our translation uses the word blessed or blessed, really just means happy. We have our idea of what happiness is and then you have Jesus say things like, Happy are the poor in spirit. Well, that doesn't make any sense in our world. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those that are merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the persecuted. That doesn't sound like happiness at all. See, Jesus has a way of taking what we think, what we see, and saying those four words, not so with you. Instead, and he flips it upside down. So we need to do that probably with our idea of great, is my guess. So let me, let me say it like this, and let me just throw this out. This may or may not be true, but at least give it some thought, and at least say there's a possibility that this may be accurate. Is it possible that your desires and God's desires for your family are different? Is it possible that your desires and God's desires for your family, is it possible that they might not be the same? That they might not completely be aligned? That we might even be praying things like, God, would you make my family great? Just like James and John's mom. Would you make us great? Would you make these kids great? Would you make this great? Would you make my marriage great? And all these things that we're praying for. And when it doesn't happen, we get frustrated at God. God, why aren't you answering all of these prayers? And God's saying, because that's not what I want. You're asking for something that's, not my heart. Your version of great is not the same as mine. Your definition of great is not the same as mine. That's what Jesus was helping the disciples and James and John's mom understand is you're asking for something, but that's not how I define great. That should be a relief. Right there. That Jesus doesn't define greatness the way that we often see and define greatness. That should be a relief. Because if any of you have had a not so great week, it's about to be a lot better based on how Jesus' <laughs> definition goes. If you don't think your marriage is so great, well, it's about to be a little bit better based on how this definition goes. Is it possible that our definition needs to change? So that'd be the first thing that I'd have you look at. Define great for your family based on God's word, based on what Jesus said here. Define great, not by worldly standards, not even necessarily by your hopes and comparing other families and other kids and other marriages and everything else. Define great for your family by God's word. That's important. 
It's important because then you know if you're hitting it or not. Right? If, if you work in the business place, you know that there are mission statements tied to just about every organization, every business. Why? Because they have defined, here's what great looks like for our company. Here's how we know if we are achieving our goal. Here's what we are all about. And they make it very clear. If you work there, you probably know that mission statement. If not, you're like, oh yeah, it's a little tagline in our break room. But the company would say, that's what we are about. Now, whether they fill that out or not, that's a whole other story. Let's have some fun with this. I've got three different mission statements from three different companies. Let's see if you can figure out which companies they might go with. Again, company says, here's what it means for us to be great. Here's why we do what we do. Here's the first one. See if you can guess it. To give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. What do you think? You ready? Facebook. Did somebody get that one? Maybe, all right, good job, and not a millennial, way to go. <laughs> that was a compliment, by the way. <laughs> all right, here's the next one. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google, yes, yes, that's why they exist. It's what they do. It's, the, it's greatness for their company. All right, last one. This one's, this one's my favorite out of these. To refresh the world to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and to make a difference. Oh, I appreciate that. That's good. No, that's not ours. You ready for this one? You live in Atlanta. You ready? Coca-Cola. There you go. But here's why that's interesting. Is the first part kind of makes sense. Oh, okay, they're all about refreshing and selling sodas and stuff. But it's not the goal, the win, the objective their purpose is not just selling things or getting you to drink soda. It's no, we're refreshing people. We're bringing optimism and happiness. We're making a difference. I don't know if any of that is actually true or not for them, but you see what they're trying to obtain. It's not just survive. And oftentimes in our families, we don't feel we're great because, well, I guess we're just trying to survive. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? I didn't kill my kids and they didn't kill me. Win. Some days, couldn't agree with you more. Well, I guess I have a great marriage. Like, we're still together, I, I think. <laughs> she hasn't told me otherwise. Is that really it? No. So if you can begin to define greatness for your family, then you have somewhere to actually go. You have a, a direction to point towards. Define greatness in your marriage. Let me give you an example. I heard about this story just this last week. It's from a family that actually attends here, parts here, and they serve here. And uh, I was talking with the mom, Stephanie, her daughter, Olivia, fifth grader, heard about the emergency food drive that we're doing for Meals by Grace. And on her own, had went home after service and started going door to door. And Stephanie didn't, the mom didn't know what was happening until she looked out and saw her fifth grade daughter going door to door around the neighborhood. She's like, what in the world is she doing? So she goes up and tries to stop her daughter. Says, Olivia, what are you doing? It's Sunday afternoon, leave people alone. She's like, well, Meals by Grace is out of food, and so I'm going to go and get food for all of them. Stevie's like, mom moment. <laughs> so then, I mean, of course, she was thrilled. And so then Olivia not just did it on Sunday, but she said, well, we need more cans. And I have a big neighborhood, so let's do it again on Monday. So she went door to door on Monday, did the same thing on Tuesday, but then realized she could get more cans, get more houses if she had more people. So she recruited a sister, a friend, and a babysitter. They scoured the entire neighborhood, put it on the Facebook page. It's incredible. Here's a picture of Olivia, one of her friends, when they were dropping off all of their cans from this last week. 
Tell me that's not great. That's great. I have no idea what grades Olivia makes. I have no idea what school she'll go to in college. I don't know what profession she will eventually have. But that's the definition of great. Parents especially. Can you begin to change your definition of greatness for your kids? Spouses, will you change your definition of greatness for your spouse? So that it matches up with God's word, not so with you, instead of what we see in the world. Let me give you another way to begin to put this in, in practice. So you have to define great for your family. And then you actually have to start doing it. Start doing great things now. Understand, here's why I say that. That seems like, well, of course, that makes sense. It's, it makes sense, but we don't always do that. Because we do exactly what James and John's mom does here. Let me read this first part again. Then the mother of James and John came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left. It's your kingdom. Did you catch it? Jesus, would you please make them great? Jesus, would you grant them greatness? I don't want to do anything. I'm just asking and it comes from a good place. I'm not knocking on what she does or what we do. We do that in our prayer life. Like, Jesus, would you make my family great? We're struggling. Would you make my marriage great? Jesus, we don't have much. Would you make it great? We're asking Jesus to just take care of it. And he's like, first of all, your definition's a little off. Let's get it on track. And then he says, now it's up to you to do that. You want to be great according to what he says? There's ways to begin to develop greatness in your family. Jesus says, I've come to serve, not be served. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. So instead of sitting back and just waiting for greatness to happen to you, instead of sitting around just asking Jesus to point his finger at your family and poof, make you great, what if we started doing great things now? How we love one another, how we treat one another. In fact, 1 Peter says it like that. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this. In my opinion, I think this is a great picture of greatness outside of what Jesus just said here. Above all... Well, that raises the bar, doesn't it? Above everything else, above all, love each other, what's that word there? Deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins, and it's Jesus' love that covered our sins. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. He gives it. So above all, may we love like that. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Look, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Don't miss that last part. Understand what's actually being said to us here. Above all, we should love others deeply like Jesus loved us. And then whatever God has given us, whatever environments we're in, whatever talents we have, whatever resources we have, what, what we have, we are to use that to simply serve others. And here's why. Because we are told that we are stewards of God's grace. The greatest, the greatest gift that Jesus ever gave, grace. He gave to me and you to be a steward of, to give to other people. Oh, it doesn't get much greater than that. That you and I get to give the greatest gift that's ever been given. Grace and love. When you serve others, that's what you're doing. 
you're showing other people the greatest gift, that grace and that love that Jesus has given us. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be great in your family? It doesn't mean you always get along. Thank goodness. It doesn't mean you have everything figured out. It doesn't mean you have the picture-perfect family all the time. It doesn't mean you get to buy whatever you want. It doesn't mean your kids are wearing the greatest clothes. It doesn't mean they're at the greatest schools, making the greatest grades, getting the greatest jobs, making the greatest paychecks. And all those things that our world would define as great, get rid of that definition. I'm not saying those are bad things, but they're not great. There's something so much greater. Instead of living through your life trying to obtain all of those things and being so disappointed, oh, align your definition of greatness with Jesus to serve others. It starts with following Jesus. It says, Jesus, it's not my life, it's yours. That's that whole orange thing that we've been talking about. Going orange is taking your faith and your family and saying, we're all in. If our faith is yellow for light of the world and our family is red for heart and love that only comes from the family. And you put those together, instead of trying to make them separate, we put them together and it says, we're gonna live our family orange. We're going orange. I'm following Jesus, not just on Sundays, not just for an hour, but every day of the week with my family. You start there. That's the beginning to having great happen in your family. Baptism is part of that. We're celebrating baptisms at the end of October. If your kids are asking about baptism, sign them up for kid faith. We'll talk them through with you. As parents, we're going to work together what salvation is and what baptism means and what it means to follow Jesus. No, you don't have to get baptized every time you make a mistake. We walk them through all those things. Maybe that's for you. You've not made that next step. Let us know so we can walk you through it. Finding those next steps are steps towards greatness according to God, God's word. But I'd be missing out if we didn't talk a lot about serving since that's what Jesus said. Here's what makes you great. You want to be great? Well, you got to serve. Serve as a family. Serve as a family. Yes, find ways to serve. That's all great. That's like Christian 101. You get that. But I'm telling you, serve as a family. Parent Q, one of the organizations we partner with, they give us great resources to give to you. Parent Q resources, all that stuff we're huge fans of, and you can find that out in the lobby. They wrote an article about the qualities that come out of, ready for this, serving as a family. Three qualities that they noticed over time are developed with families that serve. Three qualities are this, humility, grit, and generosity. Could you parents imagine what it would be like to have a child that is full of humility, grace, and generosity? Now we're preaching. Now we're changing lives. What does a marriage look like that's full of humility, grit, we're never giving up, and generosity? A family that is defined by humility, grit, and generosity. It's a family that serves together, which according to Jesus, is a great family. So here's what I wanna have you do. If you'll just close your eyes right where you're at, I want you and the Lord to have a moment to figure out what's next, to figure out what that next step looks like specifically for you in your family context. Do you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time? Do you, see, do you need to say yes to Jesus again for maybe the hundredth time? Choose Jesus. Choose to go orange. Stop trying to obtain all the other forms of greatness and let Jesus, his definition, define greatness for your family. Maybe it is baptism. 
That is a next step in your faith with him. Parents, if your kids are asking, begin to walk them through that. If you are asking, let other people walk you through it. But how will you serve as a family? What does that look like? In the church, out of the church, serving one another, family serving families, family serving communities, and family serving schools, couples serving one another. To serve one another is to be like Jesus. We are most like Christ when we serve. And that is what makes us great. It's not some title we carry. It's not earned and deserved. We're children of God and we're loved because of it. But what we do does begin to move us towards greatness or not. Jesus, thank you so much for being the greatest example of serving, that you came to give your life for us. Jesus, may we love others like you. May we serve others like you, deeply loving and compassionately serving. And may that be our definition of great. May we take off all the unnecessary burdens of what we try to live up to in our family and all the disappointments we walk through because we're not at some standard of living. May we simply aim to love you and serve others. We choose that. We choose your definition of great. And we choose to follow you every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.